share this in the morning service, but I, I want to begin with, um, I was going to have it shown up on the screen, but obviously that's not going to happen today. Um, I wanted to show you some pictures of um, Haiti where when I went down there with Dave Stelzer and a few other people, the campground where we stayed at, um, which is right down in the southern part of the island, probably within 40 miles of the epicenter of where the earthquake hit, um, this campground has been totally leveled by this earthquake. Um, and the, the amazing thing is, is that the, to me, the, you see, and if, you, if, you're, if you've seen anything in the news, it, it's pictures of leveled buildings. But um, the amazing thing to me is ground that I'm very familiar with because we had spent a lot of time doing our soccer camp on this very ground, literally big, huge fissures in the ground split up. I mean, like that could swallow a person. Um, Beth has been trying to contact, you know, decades-long friends down there. And uh, she finally got through to hospital staff, and, and they, by God's grace, they had, they had just had fuel and diesel delivered so they can run their generators. But that the operating room is just working nonstop down there. Um, so be praying, for, uh, be praying for our brothers and sisters in, in Haiti. Um, on top of that, tropical storm is bearing down on them. <laughs> um, so we really want to be praying for them. Um, the church that where Paul and Tony and Debbie and several others went to put on the roof, um, that that church they can't get a hold of and they can't they can't find out what's going on out there. But several people from that church were at a funeral yesterday when the earthquake hit. Um, numerous pastors and deacons were killed in the earthquake as the building collapsed on them. So, um, and then. Um, I read this this morning, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's, I shouldn't let it affect me this much, but I've just been watching with horror what's happening in Afghanistan. And I read, um, I read this morning that um, there was quite a network of churches that had been established over the last decade or so, because as, as liberty and freedom, even as tenuous as it was there, is brought in, the church begins to grow and thrive. And um, already the Taliban is dragging out church leaders and executing them in the streets. Um, so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Um, pray that, you know, Manasseh was here last week, Nigeria. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's a privilege for us to be able to pray for them. Um, the subject I'm going to delve into this morning and in the next couple weeks, if we're not careful as a country, we're going to be right there with them. And uh, it's all in the works. So I don't mean to be depressing this morning. I just want to be realistic. But, but we need to pray for our, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe um, and, and be reminded that, that um, what we have right now is so precious and we need to work to protect it. Um, Rick, you're our, you're our head of our missions committee. Would you open us up in prayer? Pray for, pray for the situation in Haiti and Afghanistan and around the world, please.
Amen. I hesitate ever mentioning names because it just seems like anytime you mention names in evangelicalism, something comes out and they, they turn out to be not who you think they are. Um, I, I'm, I am very resistant anymore as I get older and more crotchety. I'm very much resistant towards celebrity, celebrity preachers, celebrity pastors of any shape or stripe. So I mentioned this name, and it's a name you've heard me mention before. Um, you'll hear Pastor Andy mention the name because he's the head of the seminary where he graduated from. But, and I don't mention the name John MacArthur as, as being, you know, the next Apostle Paul or anything like that, but I mention him as a guy who's pretty solid, who has over the years, in terms of his longevity, proven to be a faithful guy. Is he perfect? No. But he made this statement that what we're going to delve into for the next few weeks, he saw as the greatest threat to the church in his lifetime. The greatest threat to the church in his lifetime. And you have to understand that MacArthur, by his decades long of experience, has seen a lot of things in his, in his ministry. But the thing that we're going to delve into for the next few weeks is the thing that, that Dr. John MacArthur, he said this in 2019, this is the greatest threat to the church in his lifetime. Anybody want to take a guess as to what it was? What? No, it wasn't apathy. That would be a good one. What? No, not conviction. The church. You know, the, the church is the greatest threat to the church. The apostate church. It has to do with the apostate church, but it, 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 this specific issue, it's an issue that you see every day on your news screen right now. Literally dividing churches. What? Science? Hmm? No? No. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. It is closely related, and we're going to get into that. Um, and so I even hesitate to bring it up, but I want to give a biblical background for why I want to do it. I had you turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And, and I, I see this as, as, as really dangerous myself for several reasons. Um, Personally, I've lost ministry friends over this already. Um, it's creeping in. It's creeping into the church. You say, we live in Johnstown. We don't deal with it out here. If you have kids in school, you're dealing with it. Whether or not you realize it, you have if you have kids who are in college, they're dealing with it. it it's real. And, and you need to understand what's going on. If you are employed in the public sector, it is affecting you. Am I right, public servants that are in this room? Is it affecting you? If you're in the private sector, it's being, it's, being, it's, it's being mandated and things are being said to you in regard to critical race. And so, so this will affect you. Um, and in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is writing, or not Paul's writing, Luke is writing, he's giving the history, and, and this is towards the end of Paul's public ministry. And in Acts chapter 20, he is, he is on his way to Rome, and he makes a stop. He makes a stop in, 
in um, Ephesus. Actually, it's off the, off the coast. In verse 17, he, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So, so Paul has is, Paul is, got this compulsion, if you will, this burning desire to bring the Ephesian elders, the pastors, to him. There's some things he wants to deal with them about. And, and he is, he's reminding them early on now, verses 18 through 19 and 20, of his ministry with them. And like, you know, hey, for three years, I went house to house preaching the gospel to you. This, you know, a ministry of the word is so important. And, and he's going to give them a warning. And in verse 28, he says this, Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so Paul here is kind of given marching orders, if you will, to these pastors. And, and if you're just to take verse 28, what, what does he say the priority for these elders is? What's the priority? What are the priorities he gives? What's number one priority? Pay attention to yourself. What does it mean to pay? What does he say when he says, pay attention to yourselves? What? There's, there's a sense of being on guard, but it's, 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 it's you look at your own heart first. You, you, have to, you have to understand your own heart and how easily you can be pulled into things. And so he's saying that to the elders first. Because, because the second priority is who they're responsible for and who are they responsible for. Their flock, their church. They're responsible for their church. And this issue that we're going to delve into, one of the reasons why it is just literally rocking the church is, is, that, is that men are not being discerning themselves. And so if men that are leading churches are not being discerning, they're not being discerning about what's coming into their church. How many of you are familiar of a ministry known as Radical and David Platt? Heard of that guy? Was he a gospel preaching guy? Is he still a gospel affirming guy? Are you aware that he is pastoring a very large church in Virginia and that church is literally splitting right now over critical race theory, which he has brought into the church? Okay? If I'd have mentioned David Platt five years ago, people would have been like, oh man, he's awesome. I've read his book. I've read Radical and, and, I've, and I've done, you know, he, he's, and, and, and yet you do the research on David Platt and the whole premise of Radical was is you, you sacrifice for the sake of the gospel around the world. Have you seen a picture of David Platt's house? It's not a shack. It's not a shack. And, and I say all that, I'm not better than David Platt. If someone threw a bunch of money at me, I'd be tempted to build a big mansion and, 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 and profit off, you know, other people. But pay attention to yourselves and then to all the flock and care for the church. Here's why. Verse 29. Paul knew this. What did he know? That after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There's two threats. There's an internal threat and there's an external threat. The external threat, what is the, what is the point of the external threat? Do you see it there in verse 29? What, what's the point of the external threat? Just, just literally just rip the, rip the flock in pieces. Okay? And, and, and here's the thing. We have to understand 
that, that any, anything that's, that's not gospel that gets brought to a church has the potential to cause division within a church. And, and we have to be really careful with that. And so I want to make sure that you understand this is a gospel issue. And, 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 and as, we're, as we're doing this, I, I, I really, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer. I know what I'm up against here because I've talked to enough believers on this. I know what I'm up against here. In this room, it's probably represented in these three groups. One, some know it's bad, but they don't seem to need to talk about it. Just keep it in the news. Maybe that's where you're at. Why are we even talking about this, PD? We know it's bad, but you probably don't even know what it is. You probably don't even really understand what it is, but you know it's bad. So, you know, like, we don't even need to talk about this. Just, just give us the word. Well, I'm going to give us the word. I want to give us the word as it applies to this. There's a group of people in this room that just don't care about this. It's not affecting me. I don't care. Well, you need to care. You need to care. There's a third group of people in this room who believe it's correct and it's needed. And I would say to you, listen with an open heart. I hope that the word of God will correct you in this. Let's give a couple disclaimers at the beginning. If you see massive failings in our history with regard to race and, and racist thinking and practice, does that necessarily make you woke? Does it? Okay, let's, let's just be open and honest from the front here. In, in the history of our own country, the, the history that we're familiar of, we're not looking anywhere else but within our own country, do we have a history of racism and racial disparity? Do we? Okay, we do. Okay, so what I'm not, I'm not attempting here to rewrite history as I teach us, okay? We have to be understanding that, that, that we, have, we have that history. Secondly, does it make you woke if you see Christians today who are acting in, in, in racist ways to confront that? Does that make you woke? Should you confront racist Christians? Why? It's sinful, right? It's sinful behavior, right? Right? We should confront that, right? Okay. Thirdly, does it make you woke if you want the racist to get along? Does it make you woke if you want the racist to get along? No. No. Okay, we're going to see a biblical mandate for that. Does it make you woke if you personally extend yourself and make relationships with, with just a variety of racial people that are different than you? Not at all. Okay? So, so let's understand here. That, that what we're talking about here is something that has been taken to a far, far extreme. As I mentioned to you, this is personal for me. I have lost, I have lost ministry friends in this. Last summer, a ministry friend, you know, whenever all the racial stuff was going down and all the George Floyd stuff was like happening, he's posting Black Lives Matter stuff on his, on his feeds. And, and I've come to this realization that he and I don't see things at all the same way. Okay? Um, my daughter is personally facing this on her college campus right now because she's involved in a ministry 
that, that, is, that is, was in its very roots a solid biblical ministry evangelizing college kids and now they've jumped the rails and now all they want to do is promote Black Lives Matter in the name of Christ. That's Campus Crusade, now known as Crew. Don't believe me? Just go do a Google search of it and you will find numerous YouTube videos bearing it out. I've watched too many this week already about it. So let's define some terms so that we know what we're talking about, okay? Let's, I think it's important, and I think, I think you need to, you need to and, and I, and I want to give you opportunities to ask questions. I'm not flying through this, to be honest with you. I want to deal with it this week. I'm planning on dealing it with next week. And if we don't get it done with it next week, we're going to go on the 29th, and we'll push the start of ABFs till the first Sunday in September, okay? Because I want to make sure that we have understanding on this. Let me give to you two resources that I would highly recommend for you to give you a biblical understanding and a third resource to give you a view of the other side from a, I can't judge the man, but a supposed Christian point of view, okay? So the two resources that I would point you to that, 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 I, would, that I think you would find highly helpful in this, um, there are two books that have recently been written. The first one would be the book entitled Fault Lines, um, and it's written by Vody Bauckham Jr., okay? Fault Lines is a good read. Um, if you don't know anything about Vody Bauckham, Vody Bauckham is an is a African-American man, grew up in the projects in Watts in L.A., raised by a single mother. He can speak to this from, his, from a unique point of view, his history and his, and his understanding. He grew up during the race riots in Watts. He understands what this all is about. He was segregated, literally taken to, across, across all of L.A. County to another school. Okay? He was, he was all a part of that. He understands this. And, and he also brings a unique perspective in that he had, the last few years, he's been out of the country as a, as a Bible teacher in a seminary in Africa. And every time he comes back over to the States... And, and when you talk to people who are U.S. citizens who are out of the country when they come back, it's amazing how things change. And he's watched how this has changed in our country and has written about it. It's a, it's a, I would commend the book highly to you. The second book that I would commend to you, and I don't know if I commend it as highly because I'm not yet done reading it. I'm in the middle of it, but, but it's written by a guy I have a lot of respect for. And it's a long title. It's called Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. And that's written by a guy named Owen Strachan. Owen Strachan. Um, just if you look up Christianity and Wokeness, you'll find, that, you'll find that book. Okay, those are two resources that I would recommend to you to give you a biblical perspective on this. If you're the kind of person that likes to dive deep and wants to hear it from another side, which is helpful to hear it, put into words, and I know at least one person in this room has read this book as well. I have not read it completely. I have read excerpts and I have scanned through it. it is written by a man named Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. He writes this from a, from a CRT perspective, and it gives you understanding as to the mindset and the thinking on this. Don't read it thinking that, it's, that, that you're going to be in agreement with it. <laughs> okay. What's that? The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Rick, you've read it. Is it a, is it a fair summation of, of how a, a large group of people view this within the Christian community? I would just use it as a 
Yeah. You will get some Marxism in it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not written from a totally pagan point of view. So it, it, it gives a really good help to understand where churches are in their thinking. So let's define some terms. And, and I don't mean this to be boring, but and if you have questions on this, ask. Let's define what critical race theory is. Anybody want to want to take a stab at what critical race theory is or what you think it is? Everybody's like, please, I don't want to get the answer wrong. You just do it for us. You just do it for us. Let me give to you the Encyclopedia Britannica definition of critical race theory, and then I'll share with you some tenets of critical race theory, okay? Britannica says it this way. It is law and legal institutions that are inherently racist and that race itself, instead of being a biologically grounded and, and instead of being biologically ungrounded, okay, understand this, race instead of being biologically grounded, okay, can you look at somebody and half, halfway determine their race? Is that biological? Is it? The, the way critical race theory defines it is, this is not biologically grounded and it's not natural. It's a social construct or a socially constructed concept used by white people to further their economic and political, political interest at the expense of people of color. That is the definition. That is the definition of critical race theory. That is the definition that an organization like Black Lives Matter is operating from. That is, a, that is a definition that Christian organizations that support Black Lives Matter, that they believe. They believe that, that race is not biological, it's not natural, it is something that has been socially constructed. Okay? Do you see some biblical problems with that? We're going to dig into that, okay? Okay? So let me give to you the, the four big, if you will, talking points of CRT, just to raise your awareness and to give you some discernment. Number one, racism is normative. Do you know what I mean when I say normative? Racism is normal, it's everywhere, it's unavoidable. The first thing that the proponents of critical race theory believe is this, that, that racism is the normal way. Okay, specifically then, number two, those who are white are unable to take righteous action against racism unless there's a benefit in, there, in that for themselves. Do you catch what I just said there? D does, that, does that horrify you? Why should it horrify you? If racism is normative and, and those who are white, and this isn't a rant against white against black, this is just, this is what CRT is saying about white people. They are unable to take righteous action against racism unless it converges with something that will benefit themselves. So any white person that is anti racism is automatically judged by a critical race theorist as what? 
What? They're racist, and they're only, they're only getting involved in anti-racism. Why? There's something to benefit for themselves. Which leads to the third point, there's no objectivity. And that white people cannot be objective in this. So, one of the standard things that happened last year was, and, and I, heard, I heard people say it, I might, I, I'm sure I said it too, I did say it, is, is in response to such as Black Lives Matter, what was the thing that was common to reply to that with? All lives matter. Critical race theorist says, that's it, you're the problem. You're the problem. Because there's no objectivity. There's no objectivity. You, you, because of your whiteness, you can't be objective. White people are so racist, they can't even address racism, is what they're saying. The fourth tenet that CRT proponents hold to is, is that, is that this idea of race, and I mentioned it in the definition, is totally social construct. It's totally social construct. There's no, so in other words, because it's totally social contract, construct, is that, that we can reject analysis then. In, in one way, what they're saying is something that flies in the face of what they're saying about other things. Like, when it, comes to, when it comes to vaccinations, and I'm not trying to get real, but when it comes to vaccinations, what is the thing that we keep hearing of all the time? Trust the what? Trust the government, yeah, but trust the science, right? Trust the science, right? They don't want to trust the science on this. They reject analysis because, because the analysis is wrong because it's skewed by a social construct that, that automatically favors the white over any race. Do you see the inconsistencies in this? Okay. This began invading our college classrooms in mass in the 1980s. This began invading the college classrooms in the 1980s. And you're thinking of, oh, well, the really liberal institutions. You can walk onto a majority of college campuses that are Christian today and hear this being taught. Hear this being taught. And so this, this was introduced and it, got, it gained steam. And so think about it. In the 1980s, I graduated from college in 1989. Okay, so my generation has heard this that have gone to college. They've heard this over and over, and now they've taken it, and what are they doing with it? They're implementing it in their places of business. They're implementing it in, in, in their, in their, in their, um, where they live. They're implementing it across the board. Um, you're hearing about how school systems are debating this now, and, and now all of a sudden we've realized that this is, folks, this has been in our schools. This isn't new. I hope you realize this. This isn't a matter of schools are bringing it in. It's been in. We just now have an awareness that it's there. It's been in our schools. Okay, bear with me. How many of you remember, if you're old enough to remember this, back in the 70s, and, you know, John Birch societies and gatherings where, where we would speak and have speeches against communism? Anybody remember that stuff? 
And people, people during that time would be like, these people are nuts. This is never going to happen. Communism will never get a foothold in our country. CRT is rooted in Marxism. And, and without going too deep here, Karl Marx, Karl Marx had one main goal in Marxism, and that was to create class warfare and struggle. Okay? And the whole point was, was to, to overthrow a supposed injustice so that another group of people could take the power. Okay? So understand that CRT is rooted in, in, in these principles to create a struggle, to create division, to create dissension. Has it worked? Did you pay attention last summer? Has it worked in our country? Yeah, okay. So, so, and it works so well, it works so well because no one, no one could stand up to it because if you stood up to it, you, because, because there's no objectivity in it, if you stand up to it, you're part of the problem, right? So much so that, that even supposedly conservative politicians just caved. If you understand why, and you don't understand why, just look at the money trail. Okay? Let's understand that Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, is just as revolutionary as the communist revolution movement was. And if you don't think it's militant, have you paid attention to, to how they're, are they peaceful protests? No. So, basically you could sum up CRT this way. Whiteness isn't biology, it's ideology. Whiteness isn't biology, it's ideology. Okay? You say, well, that seems very obvious to me. That would never infect our church. Does it just show up on the church doorstep and just announce itself that whiteness isn't biology, it's ideology? Does, does air just come and announce itself when it's air? Like, like you, do you expect me this morning just to get up in front of you and say, you know what, I, I, I want you to know this. I have preached for years that it's Christ and Christ alone, but I want you to understand it's Christ and works. Would air just punch you in the face like that? How does air infect? Very slowly. And that's what's happened. There's another term I want you to understand because this will affect our church greatly. How many of you heard the term intersectionality? Are you aware of what that is? What's an intersection? We're, 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 there's a potential for collisions, right? Law enforcement officers, right? <laughs> right? Intersections, right? Intersectionality teaches this, that there can be multiple levels of oppression a minority experiences. There's, there's multiple things that intersect at the same time. So, so think it through with me. If, if, and, and this is what they would teach. If you are a black man, that's the first level of oppression, right, in our country, a black man, right? If you're a black woman, a black woman, how many levels of oppression is that? It's two. You're black and you're a woman. 
right? What if you're a black transgender or gay person? That's at least three. Who do you think is, is responding to this appeal? Who do you think is responding to this appeal? Who is one of the biggest benefiters of this, of this movement right now? It's the LGBTQ plus community. Right? They're one of the biggest benefiters of this right now. Another term you will hear is wokeism. What does it mean to be woke? It doesn't mean that you listen to rap music. Wokeism is just being awake to an issue. That's, that's, wokeism means you're awake to an issue. The issue specifically here that most people want to get woke about is racism. It means you become aware of the problem of whiteness and you're dealing with the solution. And how, is the, how do you deal with the solution of whiteness? It's a term you hear. It's a two-word term you hear all the time. And you might think, okay, that sounds safe. It sounds good. But, but you have to understand what the other side is using this term and how they define this term. How many of you heard the term social justice? How does a proponent of critical race theory, what do they define social justice as? Huh? It, it, social justice begins with removal of all white oppression. Does it stop there? Where does social justice go after you remove the white oppression? Hmm? Well, you move oppression to the other side, but, but the white people have to pay for it now, don't they? Reparations. And let's be honest. Can you go through our history and see where black people have suffered in our country, specifically as a race, for just being black? In the 1970s, if you had, if you had two, two comparable, similar, identical um, applications for a loan in our country, and you didn't have race on that, just say you had the same income, same family members, same credit history, you would expect that those applications would have been granted, Correct. The truth is, many times if you had the wrong box checked under race, which you were allowed to have race on that application then, what happened? Many black families couldn't, couldn't get loans for their houses. Is that a problem? Yeah, it is. It's a problem, okay? Is it a problem that now that, that, that white people in, in 2021 need to pay for back and repair that problem? No. Are there things that could be done that could solve some of those problems, though? Yeah. So, social justice is a leveling of disparities, okay, in authority and power and influence. And they do it through wealth distribution, through toppling the privilege from their position, and, and putting others in those positions, In his book, White Fragility, 
Robin D'Angelo says this. He says this. He writes this in the book. He says this. It, it is not enough for white people to avoid racism. They have to be held guilty because they're white. It's in black and white in the book. This is appealing in the church, and I'll tell you why. Because, because it attacks with, with a moral clarity. I'm not saying it's moral, but it attacks with a moral clarity. This is something we can see. Black people have been oppressed. You are guilty because you are white. And, 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 and if you respond with you, any kind of sympathy at all to that, it proves that you're guilty in that. And this is why in 2018, David Platt went to, a, went to a conference that I used to attend together for the gospel, and he addressed 11,000 pastors at this conference, and he chastised every one of them for not making racial reparations within their own church. It's mainstream in our country. I want to begin... I appreciate your patience. It took a while to get those. Any questions on those terms? Any questions on those terms? And by the way, I could have gone a lot deeper with that. <laughs> Rick's not I could have gone a lot deeper. I tried to, I tried to give us like the Cliffsnose versions of those, of those definitions. But, but I, I think it's important that you understand what you're seeing there. How are we supposed to view this as Bible-believing Christians? Is there a passage of Scripture that deals with race? Yes, we're going to get to those. Is there a passage of Scripture that deals with, with how we and how we should just even, in, in, in just even a step form, deal with, with, with these kinds of situations? Because these are attacks on the faith. Because, because these are being introduced into churches as not just, this is something that we need to look into. This is being introduced into the church that it's Christ and racial reconciliation. Do you understand how dangerous that is? This is what's being taught. This is what my daughter is facing through, through the organization that she had worked through. It's not just enough to give college kids the gospel. You have to give college kids the gospel, but you also have to give them social gospel. You have to give them that fact that because they're white, they need to reconcile with their black brothers. And, and, and because they're white, they can't hold leadership positions. They need to all go to the black. Does that oppose scripture? If we're in Christ, what does the Bible say? Did Christ die for the white man and not the black man? Did he die for the black man? Did he die for the, the Asian man? Did he die for the Arab? Did he die for the, did he die for the Muslim? Yeah. Okay. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual fight. And I want you to see how Paul would encourage us in this spiritual fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul here is, is he's writing, this is probably his third letter to the Corinthian church at least. 
and, and he's writing in, in, in every one of his letters that we have recorded, First and Second Corinthians, there's a portion of that letter where he has to defend his ministry to them, okay? Because his ministry is under attack. And so as he begins to defend his ministry a second time in Second Corinthians, he says this in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. What is he saying there? Well, we're, in, we're not in, and I would say this in regard to CRT, we're not in a cultural war. We're not, excuse me, in a societal war. This is a spiritual war. Okay? And that's important because you fight societal wars on a different level. You, fire, you fight culture wars on a different level. But when it comes to spiritual wars, you fight them differently. This is spiritual because this, this teaching seeks to redefine the gospel, and it deviates from, from biblical truth. That automatically puts it in the spiritual arena. Okay? This is a spiritual fight. So if it's a spiritual fight... Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What, what is Paul saying? If it's a spiritual war, how do, what do we fight with? We fight with petitions. We fight with news conferences. We, what do we fight with? We fight with spiritual weapons. Okay? He uses an important word here that really applies to CRT when he says... We're destroying strongholds. Stronghold is an interesting word in the original language. It, it is literally a fortress that's designed to defend a position. Okay? It's a fortress designed to defend a position. That's what a stronghold is. CRT has made their position very clear, and they are going to stand on this position, and they will at all costs defend this position. So much so that, that you have men who, who claim to be Christ-honoring pastors, and if you paid attention at all, and we're not this, in this denomination, but if you pay attention at all because it's the largest American denomination, the Southern Baptists are imploding over this. They're imploding over this. They're, they, they have rules that they operate, operate by at their national conventions, and they have men who are trying to play by those rules and offering resolutions to deal with critical race theory, and they're being denied access to do it. And they're being lied to about it. It's documented. Why? Because there is a movement to, to make critical race theory mainstream. If critical race theory becomes mainstream in all Southern Baptist churches, how long before all churches in America are, are swept up into it? You say, we, we don't take our marching orders from them. Will it have an influence, though, on the general populace of, of Christians in our country? It absolutely will. It absolutely will. I think it's a part of it, and I think there's an appeal. There's an emotional appeal when, when, a man, when, when a man who gains a big following like a David Platt and respect, and like I've read his books or whatever, he stands in front of a church and he says, we're wrong in this. Most people are going to do what? If he says we're wrong, we've got to be wrong, Right?
right. Southern Baptists have a lot of blood on their hands when it comes to racism that they don't own up to. And so when someone confronts them with it and says, here's the answer, critical race theory, there's, there's an emotional appeal there where some will say, well, I guess you're right. The problem is, is because I'm white. And that's not the problem. The problem is, is, that, is that sin hasn't been dealt with. And that's the problem. And, and that's the, one of the things about racism. Racism isn't being called sin. And I want to get through this point, and I want to give you some more scripture to consider, and we're going to come back to it. Would somebody do me a favor and look up Romans 13, 8 through 10, and somebody look up Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. But these strongholds, in other words, in 2 Corinthians here, if you're there in 2 Corinthians, at verse 4, we're destroying strongholds, Okay. What, what, what do we use to destroy spiritual strongholds, believers? What do we use? We've got we to combat it with the Word of God, don't we? we, we, gotta, we the Word of God's got to speak to this, right? Okay? If the Word of God doesn't speak to critical race theory, we're in trouble here because we're not going to be able to rebuff it. Okay? And so, so the Word of God does speak to it. And we're going to get more and more into it. And I just want to give you some verses. That, somebody have Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. How did, when Paul here, when he's writing, is there, is there justice in these verses in Romans 13, 8 through 10? Who's got it that's going to read it nice and loud for me? Go for it. Is there justice in that passage? What's, what's the ethic? What's the Christian ethic there? What is it? I, I, I love my neighbor as myself, right? Then we go back to the Good Samaritan passage. Who's your neighbor? Of all races, right? Right? Okay. I love my neighbor as myself. Okay. I'll give you a word of commendation as a church. This past Easter, and, and, and we, live, we live in a very white suburb, do we not? Let's be honest. We live in a very monolithic area, right? It's, it's, it's pretty much, other than, other than a Mexican population in our community, in, in the Johnstown, this corner of Licking County, do we deal with a lot of much race? No. Easter Sunday, we had a truck driver come in. Anybody remember the truck driver that came in on Easter Sunday? He's a big old burly truck driver guy. He's about as tall as he was wide. He walked in, 
And I saw people from our church walk up to him, welcome him, talk to him. He's trying to find a place to park his, his rig. He, is, he was supposed to pick up a load of eggs at the egg farm. They weren't ready for him. He brings this big tractor down here and parks it in the parking lot. And he happened to be a black man. And he said to me on the way out, he said, I didn't know what to expect walking into a church in the country, he said. He said, he, he's from Cleveland, okay? I think it was Cleveland. And he said, he's like, he's like I, I worship in a predominantly black church. And he said, it was good for me to worship with white folks on Easter and see that you love the same Jesus I do. What did he find out here? Right. He found out what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. Somebody have Ephesians 2, 13 through 17? Do you understand why the gospel is so important when you hear Ephesians chapter 2? It's the gospel. What does the gospel do? Literally, it says he broke down the barriers, right? Christ breaks down the barriers. And what CRT is striking, is trying to do, attempting to do, is raise those barriers back up within the body of Christ. That's not gospel. That's not gospel. And we don't have time to go further, but this is where we're going to pick up. We still have some more work to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and then I want to equip us with, with a biblical understanding of how you and I can, can lovingly refute this poor doctrine. A lot of it's rooted there in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to have to do some work to unpack that, Ephesians chapter 2. You want to, you want to do some homework this week, read Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 17. Finish reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to go from verses 3 down to verse 6. But, but let's understand something here, folks. We don't, we don't need to hang our heads in despair because of what's happening. We have the answer, and it's in the Word of God. And we also have the ability as the body of Christ to demonstrate the unity that's there because of the gospel. To me, it's one of the great griefs of watching these denominations implode is they're totally missing the, the bigger picture. The bigger picture is because of what Christ has done, we don't even have to fight this fight. He fought the fight. He declared the victory in the fight. And we're creating the fight. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to look in the Word. Um, I know it's, it's a lot of information. There's a lot of, a lot of things that we've talked about here. Lord, I think the one take-home is, is that I'm so grateful for what Christ has done. I'm grateful for the power of the gospel that, that makes it possible and, and, and that will make possible that scene that we see in Revelation where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will join in chorus at the throne of God. Certainly, we don't see that here on this earth. We don't see that in our country right now. But I pray that we would be working towards that as ambassadors of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.